Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Aren't you thankful to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. I'm thankful that the church house is not a museum, but it's an emergency room. And it's where we can come when we need him most and find what we need the greatest in our lives and our heart. That healing balm of Gilead, the strength, the power, and the help, and the hope of his spirit. We're very thankful that you're here today, and uh, I'm asking the Lord to just touch our mind and our heart. I'm going to tell you for weeks on end, the spirit of God has been moving so rich and real, and I'm just excited with great anticipation about what the spirit of God is going to do and speak into our hearts here today. As it's been stated, we're going to begin a new series for this month, and we're going to be talking about being marked. Today, I want to speak to you about being marked by salvation, and I'm thankful that we bear the marks. We should. Our lives should resemble the uh, attributes of the Lord and the aspects of his spirit. Something about us should be changed. We should walk different and talk different. Something about our hearts should be different. Aren't you thankful that you've been changed by the blood of the lamb? Amen. I want you to turn with me, if you will, in the book of John, chapter 20 and verse 25. It's a fairly familiar passage of scripture to many people, but perhaps not to everyone. And so if you don't have a Bible, join along with us on the screen. John 20 and 25, the scripture says, The other disciples therefore said unto him, him being Thomas, they said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see his hands, the print of the nails, in his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. I will not believe. Well, this one moment in time, this snapshot of this one man's life and response, of course, has um, led to what we have titled this man, Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. I knew about Doubting Thomas before I ever really met Thomas. I was raised in church, and so you, you, get, you kind of get those earmarks and those tags about Doubting Thomas. The use of signets um, date back many, many decades in ancient times, as a matter of fact. And a signet came most often in the form of a ring, and often those rings were traditionally worn on a little finger. The signets were in an incredibly important tool in the ancient world. It wasn't just a piece of jewelry or it wasn't just for looks, but it was very utilitarian in, uh, in every aspect. A signet ring bore an image or it bore a mark of some sort and that mark would demonstrate that whatever document has the impression of that signet was a legal or binding document. In some cases, wax would have been dripped on a document. The signet image would have been pressed into that wax. Additionally, 
that signet would be followed by a signature. And so if you've done any legal work at all in your lifetime, you know that, uh, that our customs have not drifted very far from that. We still have things that are very similar. Uh, often uh, a notary public a few years ago would have some tool that would press and it would emboss uh, a document and, and then it would, that, that document would also be signed. And so again, you see that common thread, that insignet or that sign that this is not just a common piece of paper, this is a legal and a binding document. But it doesn't just have the embossed stamp, but they would also be the signature of that notary or the people that were involved in that transaction. So even in the ancient days, the image or the document would have two marks. It would have two things there, two images. It would have the mark and then also a signature. Now the signature is not a printed name. And so again, if you sign legal documents, you're gonna be often asked to print your name and then to sign your name because we're trying, to, we're trying to validate and verify that what we're doing here is legitimate, the signature. It means that, that we're authenticating an agreement or we're, we're making sure that there is, uh, there is uh, an agreement between these two parties. There is an authority on each behalf. Whether by signet or by signature, the bottom line is this, that these images and signatures were significant to the process moving forward. And so if someone were to say, I'm not signing this, whatever you're trying to do has stopped in its tracks because it can't move forward without the signature, the signet, you can't move forward. If a notary, for whatever reason, said, I'm not going to emboss this, I'm not going to sign it, for all intent and purposes, in that moment, that transaction is stopped in its tracks. So it's very, very significant. They represent each of them a distinction one from the other. They identified those and made these marks. Those that made these marks were people of importance, not your everyday person. And that's why in ancient days, those signets were worn on the hand of that person because it signified that someone of importance has been here in this room, a part of this transaction. And I believe that when we think about being marked, that all of us can agree that the Spirit of God has truly left a signet image, an impression. Something has been changed in our life. I don't know about everyone. Uh, I think I know about many, but I won't speak for everyone. But my life was changed when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It, it wasn't just another event in my life. It wasn't just another moment of celebration in my life. It wasn't, wasn't just another significant thing that I noted down on a calendar to remember annually, but something changed in my heart, in my mind. I walked away from the altar different than I walked toward the altar. Now, I had a lot of things to hammer out. Had a lot of things to work out, but I'm thankful that I found what I had been searching for. Many years ago in a conference, um, the, there were, during the conference for the adults, there was uh, children's services going on in another facility uh, that was taking place in Alexandria and, uh, and the spirit of the Lord just began to fall in that children's service and those children were being blessed and some of them had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, there was such a move of God 
until somebody that was in charge of that children's service went over next door at the end of the services and got Brother Mangan and Brother Jack Cunningham, who was their guest speaker, and said, you men need to come over and just see what God is doing in these services. And so uh, they walked over there, and there was a, a little boy, I think if my memory serves me right, he was about seven years old, and he had just received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and, and uh, he was crying and weeping and rejoicing, and they finally asked him if he wanted to say something something that they gave him the microphone and and with a trembling voice he just tried to tell how thankful that he was that he had received the Holy Ghost and he said I've been searching for this my whole life <laughs> and that was their response they kind of chuckled to which at that moment his 12 year old sister stepped in between and intercepted that microphone and said he's serious So no matter when you came to the Lord, if it was seven or 17 or 70, you were searching for it your whole entire life and the spirit of God just put a brand, a mark. It was a noted difference in my life. I've been changed by the blood of the lamb. I wasn't changed because I put my name on a roll. I wasn't changed because I repeated something after someone, but I was changed when the power of the Lord intercepted the sin in my life and his spirit forgave me of those sins, hallelujah. I went down in water in a baptismal tank in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, received the power, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. My Lord, I don't wanna get ahead of myself today, but I'm gonna tell you I was marked, and you are marked, and you've been changed by the power of the Lord. In John chapter 20 and verse 25, we see a doubting disciple. And again, there's that doubting Thomas. However, he was restored to faith when he saw those distinguishing marks because Christ had been marked. Jesus Christ had been marked. His body had been, in this case, literally marked. He was changed. Christ was changed, of course, at Calvary, set apart by the scars that was in his hand, his feet, and his side. But I will tell you that those marks also helped identify him to others who doubted later. These marks demonstrated that indeed Jesus Christ was the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Jesus' ministry was, uh, was marked, really, by two responses. There were two opposing, really, uh, opposing responses. There was those that believed on him and they worshipped him. Then there were those that were filled with disbelief and they didn't just doubt, but they were opposers to the ministry of Jesus Christ. They stood in great, great opposition. This trend began even at Jesus' birth. Matthew and Luke attest that Jesus was the promised Messiah and that he indeed was the Savior of the world. In Matthew's gospel, he made a key point that Joseph believed the angel and Joseph accepted this as it were and he said, I will care for him and I will care for his mother. And so immediately Joseph believed that and he marched forward. In the next chapter, three wise men <clears throat> approached Jesus in faith and they worshiped him and they worshiped him by bringing gifts to him. Nevertheless, King Herod, King Herod wished to approach Jesus with the opposite of that, in disbelief and in utter opposition to the spirit of God. And that caused Joseph to have to take his wife and family and, and flee to Egypt. The Gospel of Luke provides a similar commentary on the, on the birth of Jesus. However, Luke gives the greatest details 
of all four Gospels, including the focus on Joseph. Luke focused on his, instead of just rather focusing on, on Joseph, Luke did a great focus on Mary. As a matter of fact, I would say primarily he focused on Mary. Upon being a, a chosen vessel of God, Mary revealed her great faith, unwavering faith, and worshiped the Lord in song and praise. But both in the wilderness and in his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus was faced with disbelief and he was met with opposition. In Luke chapter four, Jesus was tried in the wilderness. He was tried by Satan in that after coming out of a season of fasting and prayer of, of uh, 40 days in the wilderness, Satan came to him, but Jesus overcame him. Luke's next episode features Jesus in the synagogue at Nazareth, and, and he made a point. He underlined this point regarding how Nazareth and the people of Nazareth disbelieved, and they opposed their spirit of opposition against him. They rejected him, not because of his mission. They didn't reject him because he was religious, because this was a very religious place, but he was rejected because of who he was reaching for. Amen. Can I tell you today that there are some people that will reject you because of who you're reaching for because the mission of Jesus was primarily to the Gentiles and these Jews said, no, we're not gonna worship with the Gentiles. Nothing could be further from the truth. These people do not have what we have. But I will tell you that Simon Peter stood in a meeting and said, but have they not spoke with tongues like we all? Have they not had the same spirit experience like we all? This rejection and this opposition was going to be the foreshadowing of circumstances that would ultimately lead to the death and demise of Jesus. As, an, as the narrative continues, each of these four gospels, uh, the, the key opposition to Jesus, we certainly find the common thread to be the Pharisees. They engaged in multiple theological debates, always trying to throw down something on the line to confuse the and to muddy the water. Their debates, of course, varied. They didn't argue about the same thing. Some of them wanted to argue about the Sabbath day. Others wanted to argue about the issue of marriage. And yet others wanted to argue about his association with people that they deemed to be evil, Gentiles, because they weren't like them, Jews. But Jesus did not mince words with this group. He did not get down in the dirt and the mire and wallow around with them but he cleared the air because he pointed his finger at them and called them hypocrites. And that was a pretty strong rebuke to people that thought they were the religious high watermark. He said, you are hypocrites. He called them whited sepulchers, whitewashed tombs, in other words. It's a tragedy if you think about it. It's a real tragedy to know that the Pharisees who were in, of their day, the highest educated people in the area of religion. And so it's a real tragedy if you think about people that have expended all of this time, effort, and energy to give themselves to the study of religion, and yet they greeted Jesus Christ with doubt and unbelief. What they were looking for was right in front of them. What they were looking for was right there. Their hope was standing there, and yet they missed because of their opposition and unbelief. It is much more likely that the average person that followed after the Lord did not know all of the religious ins and outs of the Pharisees 
However, they were touched by the ministry of the Lord. I think it was mentioned last Sunday in our first service that a person with an experience is never at the mercy of someone who only has an argument. Somebody can tell you, I don't believe in divine healing, but if you have been divinely healed of the Lord, you're not gonna stand in the street and argue. There's no need to pull your jacket off and loosen your tie. There's no need to get down in the mire with them because you're not at their mercy. I was, the, the blind man said, I don't know how to answer all of these questions, but here's one thing I can tell you. I was once blind, but now I see. Hallelujah, hallelujah. A pastor friend, I think I shared this, but let me insert this here again. A pastor friend of mine called me just a few weeks ago and he said, my wife went to the doctor for a checkup and they found a tumor and here it is, the image on the CAT scan or the MRI. And now we go back a few days later and the doctor comes in and says, I don't know what to say, but all I can tell you that in this hand and this image, the tumor is here. And in this hand and this image, the tumor is not there. And so I'm gonna tell you, when you drive up to 300 Stagecoach Road, you're going to have an argument on your, or you're going not an argument, you're going to have a tough time on your hands if you're going to try to say he's not a healer and that was just for yesterday or the church of old, but I'm going to tell you that if you need something in your body today, he can divinely step into this house and into your heart and into your situation. Hallelujah. If you need direction this morning, can I tell you that you don't have to walk away from here with doubt and confusion, but he steps into our situation and meets us at our point of need. Yes, he does. We do believe in, on the, in the laying on of hands by the elders. We do believe in the anointing with oil. But I'm gonna tell you that sometimes you're not in a setting like this. Amen, don't judge me for this, but I don't walk around with olive oil in my pocket. We're not gonna frisk you to see if you do. But there are some times that we don't have the opportunity to do that. We know that is the formula of scripture, but I'm gonna tell you that God can meet us at our point of need. And we've been standing in a business or we've been standing in a family situation where something, we needed God right then, right now. And he had the capacity to step into our situation. And I'm thankful for that. I am very thankful for that. And so I'm thankful that I am following him, not in blind belief, but I'm following in him what I, in what I know to be true. The Pharisees put Jesus on trial, which was, if you read about this, a little more than just kangaroo court. The trial resulted in Jesus being delivered to Pilate who reluctantly had him crucified. Oh, what a time. He should have listened to his wife. Amen. And you know, I could just haul off and preach right here now because I'd have every wife on my side. This would just turn into a pre-ladies conference. I have the power to do that right now. <laughs> His wife saw through the situation and said, you know, you shouldn't mess with this. And Pilate did his best in washing his hands, but sir, it's gonna take way more than that because this is just symbolic what you're doing. It's gonna take way more than that. And the trial resulted in him being crucified and following the crucifixion, 
Jesus was marked because it was God's ultimate seal of approval. And so by raising Jesus from the dead, numerous scriptures were, were fulfilled and the scars on his hands and feet inside indicated that he was in a literal way marked as one who had borne the sins of many. He was marked as a man that poured out his life to make intercession for others. We understand that God's law has marked us, the law of God marked us as transgressors because our flesh wasn't strong enough in and of itself to obey the law of God. But because of Jesus and his death on Calvary's cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, amen, because of that, we have been marked again by justification and we have been marked by redemption. I am preaching to men and women in this house, young and old, that have know what it's like to be marked as a transgressor. Anybody here ever felt the weight of sin? The disappointment, the pressing weight of sin. If I don't get to an altar, it's not gonna be soon enough. I've got to get there and repent. But also we have been marked by the power of the justification of his spirit and the redemption. The old song that says, I've been redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. I'm thankful for the redemptive power of the cross. Through obedience to the gospel, I believe that we can be marked by salvation. I mentioned this a moment ago, but that's evidenced by repentance and water baptism in his name, in, in Jesus' name and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But in Acts chapter two and verse four, the Bible says that when the Holy Ghost fell upon them, that they began to speak with other tongues as the spirit of, of the Lord gave them utterance, as the spirit gave them utterance. I believe, amen, that was, that was God's way of proving to mankind that this is what I'm going to yield to me. James said no man can tame the tongue. You can guide a horse with bits and you can steer a boat or a ship or a vessel with a rudder but no man can tame the tongue. And Jesus said I'm not a man that it can and would be limited and I will use that and yield it to myself as an initial sign of my spirit moving in. That is an initial sign. I believe the, not, not the power of the Holy Ghost is the only thing but I believe the fruit of the spirit is gonna follow that. Where we, de where we deserved to be forsaken, according to Romans 8, we were now and are now adopted as sons and daughters. These wonderful biblical doctrines are, are not new to believers and our faith is not just belief in general or not just belief in hope or not just belief in something frail and thin that we hope holds, but our belief is in something that has been affirmed by our own personal experience with God. Now, we all have a testimony. Can you say amen to that? We all have a testimony. It's something that we all share in common. We all have a testimony. Now, I don't have your story, but you don't have mine. But we all have a story. We all have some wonderful experience with God. I don't know where you were when you first ever felt compelled to repent of your sins. I don't know where you were the longitude, the latitude. I don't know where you physically were, but I don't also know where you were emotionally or mentally or spiritually, but the Lord remembers that. And we came to that intersection, that crossroad and said, I must do something. I've got to do something now. Amen, I've got to do something now. We have that personal experience with God. And sometimes because of that personal experience, I just want to jump ahead now from scripture into our world. And sometimes because of our own personal experience, we may really kind of struggle to understand why Thomas would 
would doubt and why he would be tagged as that doubting Thomas. But in truth, many of us have also expressed and experienced that same doubt. And I believe that we would ourselves, many of us, respond in a very similar fashion if we were put in the same situation. And maybe we owe Thomas a second look. And so if we could just look at this from a practical point, just line by line, Jesus, their Messiah, their hope, had been publicly put to death. He had been crucified for mankind to see. This didn't happen in a corner. This didn't happen by the shadow of night and they just heard about it or read about it the next day. Thomas, like all of the other disciples, were aware of this. Perhaps Thomas had heard what Jesus said in John, what's recorded in John 2 and 19, where he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Maybe he did hear that. However, there's no way that you could stand and watch the death of someone and not that experience not have a sense or a measure of finality to it. Can I get a witness? Thomas was not the only example of doubt and disbelief among the disciples of the Lord. It appears that all the other disciples except for John abandoned Jesus following the crucifixion. So I'm not sure why we've got Thomas alone separated out Two of the disciples left Jerusalem and they were walking down the road to Emmaus after the death of the Lord and, and on this journey a mysterious man joined them and they, they were prevented by the Spirit of God from being able to recognize this stranger for who he was. Ironically, he asked them, what are you talking about? Let me join in on this conversation and they were, they were talking about the women that had gone to the tomb but could not find the body of Jesus and they were told by angels that he was alive. Others in fact had visited Jesus' tomb and discovered that the body was missing and then Jesus chastised them for their faith and began to explain to them what the scripture said about this Messiah. One of these disciples on the road to Emmaus said something about Jesus that I think is striking or said something to him that I think is striking and worth our pause. In Luke 24 and 21, this man said, but we trusted that, had, that it had been he or it had been the Messiah, in other words. We trusted that it had been he, Jesus, who should have redeemed Israel. In Acts, in Acts, the disciples ask him a question very, very similar to this statement in Luke 24. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he instructed them that they are going to be baptized or that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in response, they ask a question. They said, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So here it is, despite everything that Jesus was teaching, despite everything they had been through and walked through with him, they still missed it. They were right there and they were missing all of these key points. Just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, their expectations and all of their hopes were focused on the idea that Jesus would restore the kingdom of Israel. When those on the road to Emmaus realized that their hopes and their dreams had been shattered, they too, doubted Jesus. Amen. They doubted Jesus. When the disciples asked Jesus this question in Acts, 
I want to read you his response. In Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and into the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus was, was Thomas's best friend. Jesus was his rabbi, his Messiah, and in the space of roughly six hours, everything he had built his life on was hanging on a cross, and for all intent and purposes, the body was dead. Jesus was gone. Thomas was heartbroken. His hopes, his dreams, his future was all shattered. Therefore, he struggled to believe that some of these rumors were true, that Jesus was alive and that he was walking. And I believe, frankly, that if we were in his shoes and if we were in his skin, that all of us would have had the same measure of doubt, or at least a lot of us would have the same measure of doubt in our heart. We would be saying, but I was there. We could be saying, but it's true. I saw, amen, I, 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 was, I was experiencing this, and we could all have the same thing, even when his fellow disciples declared that we have seen him. It was just too much to bear, too much, too hard to comprehend. Instead of grieving the loss of Jesus and, uh, and the emotions that Thomas felt surging within, within him, he just perhaps as a safety mechanism to his own heart, he said, I'm just not going to believe. And you know what? There's a lot of people that go there. I'm going to create this bubble around my heart. I'm going to, I'm going to protect myself. And so for Thomas, he said, I'm going to protect myself. So I, I believed once and I got let down. So I'm not going to believe again. And I'm going to save myself. I'm going to protect myself from being disappointed. I just won't believe. But you see, that is human nature. And I don't want to get up in anybody's business this morning, but we, it happens all the time where people say, I have loved and I got disappointed in love. I trusted and I got disappointed in trust. I loved someone who walked out on me and so they say, you know, I'm gonna protect myself and so I'll never love again and so I'll just live here in this cocoon of no love. We have people that have trusted others and, and you said, I'm gonna put my confidence in them. I trust them and they betrayed you. They let you down. They disappointed you and so we move into this bubble that I will not trust again. Are you with me now? Amen. I'm just going to stand here and I won't trust anybody ever again. I'll suspect everybody. I'll look at everybody with a crook. I'll look as a crook. I'll look at everybody uh, that has an angle. I'll have I'll look at everyone that's trying to spin something, trying to turn it tweak it around and that's exactly what Thomas was doing. I don't think he was doubting because he wanted to be an unbeliever. I don't think he was doubting because he wanted to be dubbed doubting Thomas but I believe it's entirely possible. He said I don't want to get hurt again so I don't want to believe again. Just like people say I don't want to get hurt again so I'm not going to love again. I'm not going to trust again. I'm not going to follow again but can I tell you we rob ourselves. Thomas you're robbing yourself 
Can I tell you this morning, you, whatever your name may be, your name might not be Thomas. It could be Bob or Bill or Sally. Amen. But I'm going to tell you that when you say, I'm going to move in this bubble and I'm going to protect myself. Oh, I just feel in the Holy Ghost to tell you, you're going to wind up robbing yourself. I loved and I got hurt. Well, love again. Amen. I trusted and I got disappointed. But the Lord is saying, if you'll just reach one more time, you can trust me. You can trust me. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel some healing in the house today. Amen. I have been disappointed. I have been let down. But I want to tell you this morning, you're not alone, ma'am. You're not alone, sir. But there is one who walked into my life. His name is Jesus. There is one who walked into my life and he has been true to his word. He's been there every time I've ever needed him. He's never been a moment late. He's never been a moment out of sync. His power, his presence, his authority, his anointing has always been enough. Oh, yes, it has. It has always been. It has always been enough. <laughs> oh, my, my. He's never been late. No, he's not. Amen. I heard a dear pastor friend many years ago say he was just kind of being transparent. He said, I know the Lord's never been late and I can attest to that. He said, but I have asked him a few times, could you mind just showing up a little early? <laughs> just a little early. God just steps in when he needs to. Hallelujah. Thomas said, except I see the hands print of his nails, in his hands, the print of the nails. And, in, and unless I, he's pretty specific, I put my finger into the print of that nail. And unless I thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, Jesus appeared to the disciples, including Thomas. Jesus didn't walk in there with an attitude and call him a doubter. Jesus didn't walk in there with an attitude and say, you go stand in the corner. He didn't turn him in the corner, put a dunce hat on him. No, he said, here you go. Feel. Here, Thomas. Feel. I want to do whatever is necessary for you to know that I am he. <laughs> I want to do what is necessary for you to understand. I want you to have it in your mind and in your heart forever settled. You don't need to take their word for it. You don't need to take somebody else's word for it. But I make myself available to you today. Can I tell you this morning that if I thought my job today was to get in this pulpit and try to convince you that Jesus is everything you need him to be, I couldn't stay here long enough. My voice wouldn't hold out. My body physically couldn't hold out. Amen. What I'm only here to do today is tell you this, is just taste and see. And if you'll just taste and see, if you'll just try it, hallelujah, that's all I'm asking you to do. You don't have to trust me. You don't have to 
trust this church. You don't have to trust one singer. You don't have to trust one musician. You don't have to trust one Sunday school teacher. You don't have to trust one leader in this building. I'm just asking you to lift your hands and your voice and say, God, I'm gonna put my trust in you. And I'll tell you what, he'll be. He'll be a way maker where there is no way. He'll be a healer if you need healing in your body. He'll be a healer if you need healing in your heart. He'll be a healer if you need healing in your mind. Hallelujah. If you're here without the Holy Ghost today, you can have it before you walk out of here. Not because I'm preaching. Not because somebody else is singing or playing. But it's because here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Hallelujah. There is truth bound up in this book. There is truth bound up in his word. And that truth is one for one and all. Yes, it is. Now we've got kind of a dangerous combination going on here right now. Because you've got somebody with a microphone that don't mind talking and apparently you're enjoying listening. This could take a while. <laughs> uh, oh man, I just did that to separate out all the carnal people. So, oh Lord, here, Thomas, here. He was saying, don't, don't be faithless. I'll give you something to believe in. He didn't say you stand at arm's length until you get your faith all worked out. He said, just touch it. Just taste, just try it. Now, Lord, I'm gonna tell you today, you can't look around this audience this morning and tell because there's smiles and everybody seems like everything's okay. But if you could just kind of lift up the veil, I'm not suggesting that we would do that, but if we could lift up the veil tonight or today, what you would see is you would see lies that have formerly been addicted to alcohol and drugs and all kind of promiscuous living and people that have been liars and, 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 and people that have been dishonest. But, but what happened is somewhere along the line, they were able to slip their hand out and touch the nail print hands and they were marked. They were marked. It changed. It changed them. It changed them. Amen. I am trying to hasten... Praise God. These doubts, I'm gonna tell you that we're assaulted by doubt everywhere. These doubts can come from many places. In school classrooms, students hear things that attempt to disavow their faith. On our jobs, on our jobs, we hear things that do the same, attempt to disavow our faith, to take away and rob and steal the validity of the word of God. I'm gonna tell you when the final past due notice comes in your mailbox or when the pink slip comes on your job, when you experience some tragedy in your life that you didn't foresee, that, those things can challenge our faith in God. Amen, you can remain seated. <laughs> but it's the truth. Those things challenge our faith. We don't wanna... We don't want to be an unbeliever, but it challenges our faith, and it, that's a common human experience. Since doubt is common to us all, it seems that faith, or at least the a potential to exercise faith, should be common to us all as well. 
The English word for faith represents a Greek word that embodies the idea of trust and faithfulness. And so in this English word faith, particularly, particularly in association with God, it has become connected with the assent that something exists. Even if one acknowledges that Jesus Christ exists, this is not the idea that faith is presented of this is not the idea of faith that is presented to us in the, in the New Testament because biblical faith is what we are resting our lives on. Doubt certainly may challenge our faith. We've all been there. We may none be proud of that moment or moments or times or seasons, but doubts challenge our faith. But these doubts cannot overcome our faith because our faith is, is rooted in two very substantial things, and that is the word of God and our own personal experience. And I'm just going to tell you that sometimes we have frankly held on to faith for our future solely because of the faith we had of God, in God from our past. I know this is a different mountain. It's shaped different and maybe a little bit taller, but I'm going to tell you the God that helped me over that mountain is the God that helped me over this mountain. Am I talking to anybody here today? I know this one's different. I know I've never been down this road before, but we feel like David kind of reaching down into that bag when they said, what makes you think you can take Goliath? He said, well, there was a lion and there was a bear. Now a lion and a bear didn't compare to the giant, but what he was trying to say is the God of my yesterday has promised that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I've never needed him to climb a mountain like this, but he was there for that one, and I believe he'll be there for this one. Hallelujah. I believe that he will. I believe he will. Amen. I'll ask you to stand and I'll close with this short story. Amen. And praise God. A man by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. G. Campbell Morgan was a British evangelist and a leading Bible teacher and a prolific author. But as a young man, as a young man and young minister, he had already enjoyed some success as a preacher by the time he was 19 years of age. But then his faith and his ministry came under attack by doubts about the word of God. The writings of various scientists and agnostics disturbed him. And, and as he read their books and as he listened to their debates, Morgan became more and more perplexed. And in the throes of this intense season of doubt, this young man, already having tasted some success, canceled all of his preaching engagements. He placed all of his study resources in a closet and locked the door. And think whatever you will about this next move. But he said, somehow I've got to start fresh. And so he went to a bookstore and he bought himself a brand new Bible. Now he's already in the ministry, already preaching, so it's obvious he had a Bible, but he said, I just gotta start fresh. Because he said, all that I've been hearing and all that I've been reading has assaulted my faith and I'm no longer sure that this is what my father, his biological father claims it to be, the word of God. And so with a new Bible in his hands, kind of like an Etch-a-Sketch, you know. 
We're just going to start over. We're just going to start over. He said, but of, but of this I am sure, that if it be the word of God, and if I come to it, hear me now, because it's very important to understand what he's saying. He said, I'm gonna buy me this brand new Bible, and, and this is what I'm sure of, that if I come to the word of God, if this is the word of God, rather, and if I come to it without prejudice in my heart or my spirit and I come with an open mind, this book will bring an assurance to my soul, not just to my intellect, but to my soul. The result, <laughs> G. Campbell Morgan said, in the process of all this, this book found me. I was searching for it, but it found me. Can I tell you today that new assurance in 1883 gave him the motivation for his preaching and his teaching and his writing and he devoted himself to the study and the preaching of God's word. So I will tell you this morning, yes, things do come against us. And yes, seasons of doubt do come barging in our lives and they come in all shapes, sizes and colors. But when that season comes we need to remember I have been marked by the word of God I have been touched by the power of God and by the spirit of God and I am going to put myself into this and I'm going to let God be God in my life I'm thankful I've been marked aren't you Amen, I hope the world sees a difference in us when we walk out of church on Sunday. They ought to note a difference in us when they see us in the restaurant. Our, our companions and people that we work with on our jobs, they ought to know something's different about this man when he walks up or this woman when they walk in the office. There's just peace that comes. Oh my, I'm just gonna tell, I'm gonna tell a 90 second story, I think. <laughs> I was meeting a contractor this week at our campground to get some work done. So he was there with his wife. And so we were walking around looking at some things that need to be done. The first thing she said when she got out of the car, when they got out of the car, the first thing she said was, after just a short greeting, she said, wow, it sure feels peaceful around here. I said, well, thank you. So we are walking across the campus looking at a few things. She says, Man, I feel peace. We were walking around looking at another few things and she said, sir, I can't express to you how much peace I feel standing around here. And one more time when she was getting in her car, her and her husband was getting in her car, she looked back at me and she said, Man, it just feels good. It just feels good around here. Can I tell you today that the world is hungry for peace? And if you know him, don't keep it to yourself. If you know him, don't be silent about it. If you know him, shout it from the mountaintops. Why? Because we've been marked. We've been marked by salvation. Can we lift our hands and our voices across this building? Lord, we love you today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386 386- 
935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.